Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 556, with Chef Nathan Lemley. Take notes along the way through your career and take everything in. Don't just be a body and do the job. Really try to learn and, and pick up on every all the things going around. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Cash flow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation one more time that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest nathan lemley my man nathan are you feeling unstoppable today you know i'm feeling unstoppable yeah Yes, that's what we like to hear. So Chef Nathan Lemley grew up in Katy, Texas and attended the Art Institute of Houston. After graduation, Lemley worked in some of Houston's finest restaurants before making the move to Austin, where he accepted the position of Chef de Cuisine at the newly opened Foreign and Domestic. He spent the next few years traveling and staging across the country before connecting with Chef Sean Sirkeel. Did I say it right? You got it. Yes. At Parkside on six back in Austin. It was at Parkside. He met future business partner and life partner, Sarah Hurd. The pair purchased foreign and domestic in September of 2017 from founder Ned Elliott and have been sharing the kitchen ever since as chef owners. You guys are crushing it too. I actually just had Sarah on the show. So if you guys want to head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash five, six, four, you can hear her story as well. Uh, and now we're here to talk about you, Nathan, and I can't wait to dive into your story and to find out how you got to where you are today. Uh, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? You know, I really live by um, giving giving your all, doing the best you can every single day, trying to improve every single day, doing one thing better, just, just giving it your all and, you know, not wasting your time. Yes, dude. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. So where did it all start for you? Take me to the point where you knew you were going to commit your life to food and beverage. Um, you know, growing up, food was a big part of my life. My um, grandmother had owned a bakery um, before I was actually born, but it kind of uh, left 
it, it kind of made food always a big part of, of our family. Um, so I was working in restaurants in the front of the house actually as a server, um, just to pay the bills. I was, a, a you know, trying to be a musician as every, you know, 18, 19, 20 <laughs> yeah. year old is, um, you know, and I was like, man, those guys are, are really having a lot of fun back there. Those guys are, 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 they're playing with fire. They're, they're burning themselves. They're, they're having a lot of fun. Um, I worked at like a, a chain Tex-Mex restaurant and, um, I got to be able to do the, uh, expediting during the middle of the day, during the slower times. Was it and Chewy's? It was not Chewy's. Um, it, it's a big one. Though. Everybody in Austin's worked at Chewy's. It's, it's, it's a big one. Um, uh, and uh, it, so I had a lot of fun there. I learned a lot of systems, a lot of a lot of corporate things. It was pretty cool. But I got to spend more time in the kitchen doing expediting, you know. And then when it get busy, I'd have to jump back there and help them sometimes, um, you know. I so I took a lot away from that restaurant, um, and I went to go help um, a friend open up a, a small, uh, modern Mexican restaurant. Um, at that time, I had this thing in the back of my head. I was like, man, I, I think I want to cook. I, I'm not positive. How old were you when you were doing this? I, I was about 21, I'd okay. say, when, when this was going on. So this is all before you went to the Houston Art. Yeah, the- this was this was right about the time when I, when I was about to start. Uh, I, I ended up going uh, while I was working at this restaurant. Um, so I... I was, you know, helping uh, run it in the front of the house. I was a server. I was kind of a, a middle manager a little bit. Um, and I, I was, I'd, so I'd have a lot of interactions with the kitchen. And I'm like, man, you guys look like you're having a lot of fun. I'm really interested in what you're doing. Um, you know, I was like, I think I might want to go to school for this. And it just happened that my then wife was actually working at uh, the Art Institute of Houston. And, you know, I just made my way in there and, and went to culinary school. Um, I, I kept a job uh, working as a server at night, but I would go and cook in the morning and I would help them out, you know, work through the, the lunch rush and then, you know, switch over to my server position because that's what paid the bills then. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious because we're going back now, tw- uh, what, 11, 12 years ago, maybe yeah. even further, like 15 years ago? About 15, I think. 15 I years or 16 years, whatever many <laughs> years ago. Uh, reflecting back at the person you were then, the manager you were then, uh, what what makes you, th- like, who were you then versus who you are now? Thinking about that person, that, that type of manager, how green you were. You know, I was a, a really irresponsible kid then um i you know i went i tried to go to college uh i you know the and do it for computer science for audio engineering for all different things and i just i wasn't good at it it just didn't keep my attention you know um i I like the craziness of the kitchen and I, i think that really like drew me in to like oh i can just be myself in the kitchen i don't have to like you know, sit at a desk and, and crunch numbers or do whatever uh, someone with the office job does. But what you know? about as far as a manager? Because you said you were like middle management helping to open this restaurant, run this restaurant. Knowing what you know now, looking back at the, the decisions you made back then and how you <laughs> led back then, were you a good leader then? Or, or, or maybe not necessarily a bad leader, but have you improved? Like what? what yeah, I had no, no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. I was literally just doing what I was told to do okay. back then. Um, he needed a body to like, oh, just, you know, Pop stuff for the servers or yeah. or whatnot, you know, seat people when they come in if there's no host, like things like that. So Maybe, looking back at what he was telling you to do, do you have any any critiques about how you guys were running that restaurant versus what you know today? Um, yeah, that place was on a shoestring, and it, uh, <laughs> it was so it was it was the maitre d from uh, one of the nicest restaurants in in Houston, and then uh, one of the best chefs in Houston, um, 
Marco Wiles was uh, kind of overseeing the kitchen. He wasn't there, but he kind of, you know. So there was some experience at this restaurant. It wasn't like a complete. Yeah, it just it seemed crazy at the time. And, you know, it's now going back. It's it's. It, that's kind of how a lot of restaurants are, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So um, any big lessons during your time at the Art Institute of Houston that you can drop on us? Man, um, you know, it, it's culinary school. I think the same stories come from everybody about culinary school. Um, I really just made the best of it and took advantage of of all my time there, you know, Oh, Hey, we're getting some foie gras and uh, we're going to make a torchon. Oh yeah. I would definitely want to see how to do that. You know, I, I was there, I, you know, I led like a, a group who did, you know, special events and things. And I really took advantage of, of everything. Um, I can't say that I learned like a tremendous amount. You were 21, 22. You said, you said yeah. you were there for five years. So from the time you were 21 to 26. Yeah. I think so. Maybe four years, four like years. That. Okay. But still 21 to yeah. 25. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, if you're going, if you're going to go to culinary school, wait until your early twenties. Like, make the most of that experience because you can get a ton from it if you do it right. And it sounds like you did it right because you were leading these events. You're you're getting you're you were wringing every little drop, last drop out of of yeah. value. Out I of agree. That I I wasn't mature enough when I was 18 years old to go to culinary school and really get the full benefit of yeah. it. I mean, I was I I was just you know playing gigs and and running around and drinking and just being crazy when I was that young. Like, you know, I got it out of my system, which is a good thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was to my advantage to wait a little bit nice, and to really make sure that that's what I wanted to do, you know? And I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure when I first started school, but you know, I, I really dove in and, um, it, you know, it's, this is the industry. Like if you don't love it, like you're get out. At what point <laughs> were you 100% sure? Um, I think when I first started working at my the first like real like fancy busy kitchen, which was a restaurant in Houston called Tony's. Um, were you at Tony's while you were in school? Yes, okay. yes. Um, it was crazy. They would do you know four hundred covers. It you know super nice. It's the most expensive restaurant in Houston. Um, the chef was Olivier Cicilisky. He's a uh, French. He would yell at me. I couldn't understand anything he was saying. <laughs> the pastry chef was Italian. They would fight each other. They would yell at each other. Um, but this was a really big, fancy, nice kitchen, really using really good ingredients. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> like I, it, you know, it, it, I worked there for a year and it was um, a really huge uh, learning experience. Um, it, just, just very eye-opening. You said to, this is where you were 100% sure about the industry. So what exactly was it? Was there a moment and a certain experience or a feeling that you got? Take us to whatever it was exactly that made you 100% sure. You know, just when, when you're when you look forward to going to work every single mm. day, when you, like, you get there early just because you wanted to be there and because you, you want to learn you know, that's, that's not something that everybody has. Not everyone like can't wait to get to work or gets to work early because they, that's, they really want to be there. A lot of people show up, you know, Oh, I have to be there at three o'clock. So I'm showing up at three o'clock on the dot. You know, um, I think that really made me knew that, you know, I would go home and cook sometimes late at night, like, you know, trying to practice something that I learned to work. You know, I was like, man, I, like I, I didn't think about anything else. This became my life. So where you, I think I, in my research, I saw three restaurants you worked at in Austin after graduating or while you're in school. 
uh, in, in, sorry, not, not in Austin, in Houston, mm. were, were, was there one mentor, one restaurant, one place where you think you grew the most in, the, in those early years? And can you bring us to that point? Yeah, I worked at a, a restaurant called Voice for a chef named Michael Kramer um, for about two years. Um, it was actually the old uh, Jean George Bank uh, kitchen that became Voice. So it was a really fancy kitchen. Um, it, it was the food we did at Tony's was pretty elevated, pretty, but a little bit dated. Classic. To, classic, I would yeah. say. Okay, classic's better, right? <laughs> um, so this was modern. Um, we did a tasting menu. Um, you know, it was really modern. It was during the time when, you know, Alinea was becoming uh, really popular. All this, you know, whatever you want to call it, molecular gastronomy was getting popularized. And um, so, I mean, honestly, the thing I, I always remember is learning how to cook risotto and the chef pushing it back and pushing it back, pushing it back. And I'm like, I just cooked the same risotto four times. Like, (laughs) and then like, I finally got it. Like it's finally going out. You know, that's, I learned how to season aggressively and season and season correctly and make things really, really delicious. Like I learned a lot of other things and all these modern techniques and things, but you know, that's what I really learned was to develop my palate and really get these, um, really learn how to season, really learn how to use acid, really learn how to use salt and, and, and balance things and understand food a little bit more. So you're a chef, so it's natural for you to go to when you're reflecting on what you learned about the food. But you also were being taught about standards, right? Oh, yeah. And that, that's what was going on when he kept pushing the plate back to you. So take us through what you think he was thinking, how he was trying to teach you, and what was going on during this this this, this time of the plate being pushed back. Um, basically, you know how to do it. Just do it the way I've showed you. Do it the way you did it the last three times. Like it's got to be consistent, you mm. know. And that's one of the biggest things in a restaurant. A restaurant has to do is be consistent. Why is that so important? Because, I mean, I go back to the same restaurants all the time because I know I'm, I'm going to get something that's delicious. Mm. I'm not, you know, there's not. You're not taking a chance. You're spending, a, you know, a decent amount of money, and, and you're not taking a chance. Like, is it going to be good this time? Is yeah. it going to be good, or is it going to be like? or bad like under season underwhelming is it going to be a waste of time and money yeah you mean you might have thrown a few dollars in the trash that day pushing back the risotto but what was the value that he created in developing that culture setting that standard of excellence right that's priceless absolutely yeah i mean he instilled you know a lot of things on me as well as uh his chefs that worked for him there i learned i made a lot of contacts there a lot of other great chefs worked there as well is kind of like the like at that time we had like the the best sous chefs chefs cuisine cooks all in one kitchen and it was really cool awesome so any other big key mentors lessons during the the early days in houston before we kind of bring it to uh your trip to austin so, um, Olivier was the first one at Tony's, um, French guy, um, just really, really energetic, you know, a little bit over the top as far as, uh, um, his management style. Sometimes he's, you know, came, came from working in France, a little bit of yelling and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's Michael Kramer who I, I learned all that we just talked about. And then, um, Justin Basie, I worked for, for a little while at a restaurant called Stella Sola. Um, he was actually one of the sous chefs at voice that left to go open, uh, Stella Sola. And that was, um, kind of under Brian Caswell's, uh, restaurant empire at the time. Um, so I got to work for both of those guys. Um, Brian Caswell is a pretty big chef in Houston and then, um, directly under Justin Basie, who was the chef de cuisine there. Um, who I really learned a lot about charcuterie from, okay. which is something that I really, really enjoy now and really am really into. 
So, so this was the last restaurant, Stella Sola, was the, the last restaurant you worked at in Houston. Did they do anything different regarding business, how they ran their business? Did you learn it? Like Brian uh, Caswell, you said, mm-hmm. pretty big deal, pretty big restaurant tour, pretty big name in Houston. What did he do differently than some of the other operations? You know, for good or bad, um, it treated it. You could definitely tell it was a business. It definitely needed to be busy. You know, they definitely worried about labor, definitely worried about food costs. Um, I could see these things. I could see the stress on Justin's or the, or whoever, you know, other managers faces because they, they know that it, it had to be tight. It had to be run. Correctly. What does worrying about it look like though? I mean, you're, you're kind of painting the picture of the mood, but what about the, anything particular about standards regarding the numbers, the, 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 the busyness, the, all these other, the things that you're describing, any like specific lessons you can give us? Um, I'm asking you to go back a few years. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's a while back. I just, I, I remember like, you know, Justin was young and, and, um, you know, he would get angry sometimes when he, when he's like when the restaurant wasn't busy maybe or <laughs> yeah. you know things like that that's it's it's it shows it shows on your face it's so on and it's it's hard and i and i you know same has happened to me before um but it's really hard to remember back all those, <laughs> don't worry about i'm pushing i'm pushing <laughs> so let's let's fast forward uh you come to austin um yeah. Why, why did you want to get out of Houston? What was going through your mind? So, um, at that time I was married, my wife actually transferred from the art Institute in Houston to the art Institute in, in Austin. And, um, I, I was talking to my chef, Justin, he's like, uh, you know, telling him, Hey, I'm, I'm going to move to Austin. I think, you know, which was a hard thing to tell him because oh, yeah. any, you know, you know, leaving a, a job is, is always hard, especially when it's a place that you like. Well, especially the restaurant industry. Yeah. It's not just a job. You're spending 60, 70 hours a yeah. week there. This is your family. It's like breaking up with somebody. You yeah. know, it hurts. And, and, and you know that you're going to put him in a kind of a bad spot for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but he's like, all right, I'm going to make a phone call right now or make an email or something. And he's like, I know who you need to go work for. And it was Ned Elliott. Um, and I, I had only seen some things like on, on you know, Instagram or or whatnot about the the restaurant was about to open foreign domestic. It was like man, two thousand eleven was it? Two thousand ten. Two thousand ten. Yeah, and um, I you know I was like man, that place looks really cool. Like they're doing some like stuff I've never seen before. So um, you know, a few months go by, um, you know, and uh, they had just opened. Um, I would I think about two three months, and um, I'm I had met with Ned a couple times. He was like, yeah, we're gonna bring you on. Um, you'll be the cook. And, um, you know, hopefully everything works out and we'll move you up to be sous chef or chef de cuisine or whatnot, whatever, whatever we need, whatever we want to call it. Um, so I came here and it was, um, it was very intense. Um, paint that picture of what intensity looks like. Um, you know, there's nobody talking in the kitchen. There's everybody's going as fast as they can. Everybody's, you know, sweating more than they need to. (laughs) Um, you know, and, and I had no idea what the expectations necessarily were from from Ned or of the restaurant. Um, I, you know, he put everything him and Jody had into this place. So, it, you know, it, it's it's different when you, you're working directly for the person who invested all the money and put their, you know, their hard work mm. into it. Why is that different? I mean, my, my cooks tell me the same thing. Um just because you can, you know how hard they were. You see them every day showing, you know, coming in early, leaving late. Like it, it's really their whole entire life. And, and, and your cooks can see that, you know, and, and I think it's, 
it's good when you're <laughs> um, when you're in a good mood and you're not stressed and, t- and tired because um, they can see that you're you're really pushing to to do the best you can and it really makes them um, want to do the best they can as well because they don't want to let you down you know I think that's what it comes down to they don't want to let you down they you know we're good to our, our employees um, and, and you know they want to give back whatever they can to to, to not let us down so aside from um, this lesson in the impact, the power of working side by side with the owners and people that are putting their their blood, sweat, tears, their everything into this restaurant, the amount of respect you get from these people when you when you can witness it firsthand. What else did you learn from Ned Elliott in um, those early days? Man, I I really learned like he always preaches attention to detail, attention to detail. Everything matters. It's about the whole. It's all those little things that add up to making an experience. Give me an example of the attention to detail that he demanded from you. You know, like everything on the plate, it's got to be in the same spot. It's, it needs to, you know, it's got to be super hot. You, you need all the food needs to come up at exactly the same time. You can't be waiting on things. There's no heat lamps here. You know, it's a real small restaurant. Everything's got to come up super hot, you know, you know, all at the same time, the server's got to be waiting at the pass for, to take the food, the, the place settings, the, the, the tables have to be marked with their silverware, you know, everything's got to be perfect. There's, there's not, you don't, you got to think through everything ahead and not just, you know, uh, oh, okay. Oh, we forgot that. No, we forgot that. No, it's like, you've already thought the whole thing through. We, we've already, we've already determined all these systems. This is how it's supposed to be. So you d- did you guys create systems to ensure standards? How did you make sure that all these things happen exactly the way they were supposed to happen every time is there something that you would do that you can share with us that we can replicate or is it just being a badass like like there's gonna be something you can drop on us i I really think it's just drilling into people this is how we do it every time it has to be this way you can't you can't only do it sometimes every time this is how it needs to be done you know i mean there's a little bit of being a badass ned ned was a badass he was (laughs) you know he, he ruled a little bit uh with the iron fist so um you know that was his his uh his management style, you know, and it, and it worked for him in, in, in a lot of ways. So, um, I don't necessarily take that and do that now. Uh, I feel like times have changed a little yeah. bit, but, um, you know, it, it worked for him and, you know, he really built this restaurant to become something that, um, you know, uh, that if we eventually bought that because we knew it was awesome. became valuable. Yeah, yeah. It still is valuable to this day, yeah. but moving forward, you eventually, you moved on from foreign domestic. You did some staging. What was going on in your life at that time where you made this decision to get out of foreign domestic? You see, it seems like you were in a really great spot. Uh, why move on? Um, you know, I, I felt like at that time there was nothing else I could do here to really like further my career because of um, the, you know, me and Ned, we just worked a lot together, a lot of hours. How many years were you here the first time? I was here three solid years, I believe. You know, a lot of hours, a lot, a lot of hours, six days a week. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's just time to to change and grow. Were you staging at all in that three No, no, I didn't have time. I mean, I I guess I did like we would close and I I spent a couple, uh, I took a couple trips to Chicago and worked with uh, one of his mentors. Who was this mentor? uh, Doug Saltis. Okay. Yeah. He's a amazing chef in Chicago and, um, you know, Ned set me up with that and it was pretty awesome. But, um, so I took a little break, 
um, between I, I so Ned actually connected me with with Sean, and um, we had talked back and forth, uh, had a couple, you know, coffees, and um, you know he wanted to bring me on his chef's cuisine at Parkside, and I said okay, but um, I need to take a little break, um, and I ended up staging for a summer at um, five or six different restaurants across the U.S., a bunch of Michelin restaurants, some really really cool. And, and, you know, these things made a huge impact on me. You know, I, I needed to see something else. Cause literally I basically had only seen what was in these four walls. For yes. Three years. Let's go deeper here. Um, because I think what, who told you, or was this your own gut instinct that you needed to get away to experience other things? Where was this coming from? You know, I think it was definitely a lot of gut. Um, I, I think actually Ned kind of encouraged it a little bit himself because he, you know, he just saw that, you know, I can't be learning. Like maybe he had taught me as much as he thought he could. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not sure exactly, but, um, you know, he just thought maybe it'd be a good idea for me to see something else. And, you know, I, I thought the same thing. We were just kind of on the same page, I think. So why is this so important though? I mean, and I, and I agree that it is so important, uh, for a young chef to get out to, to get different experiences, to, to do these things, to do these touches. But why is that so important? I think you really have to see how other kitchens run how, because you've just seen how this one kitchen runs for the last however many years and, and, and seeing how, how other kitchens run, you can see, you can take a lot of things from that. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I went to, I think five restaurants and spent time and, and I was like, man, this is the kind of chef that I want to be. He doesn't yell at anybody. He doesn't, you know, it's, like I, I spent time at Manresa with David Kench and um, he never had to yell at anybody. Everybody, you know, the kitchen was very calm and collected. Um, he, you know, he made a huge impact on, on me on how he ran his kitchen. It was just way different than the places that I had worked in. You know, one of the reasons why I, th- I think it's so important to, to get out and to do these stages and to experience different chefs different cuisines is to get clarity on what you want to do someday and you need to get out and experience different things and collect this data for your subconscious that's going to you know be your gut decision in the future you think it's that subconscious that make that gives you those gut feelings right right but you need to influence yourself you need to get these experiences to to round off and get clarity about what it is that you want to become. And you're saying it right now. You yeah. worked for David Kench, and he, you, you gained a certain something from him and on who you want to become. It. You got a little bit more clarity on who you were from yeah. getting experience from other people, right? Right. I mean, I had just cooked basically Ned's Ned's food for the most part. I had a uh, you know some input on the menu, and it was some of my stuff too. But it was in Ned's style, basically. Mm. So that's all I had done for those years. I needed to go besides just eating. I would eat out a ton, you know travel and eat too a little bit but um you know really digging into these other kitchens and seeing how they do things i i yeah i I learned a lot of stuff about myself so you also mentioned something that i thought was pretty interesting you said that ned introduced you to uh sean uh i'm I'm always afraid i'm always afraid to say his name (laughs) um I mean, it seemed like things were going good here with you and Ned. Why would he encourage you? Why would he introduce you to other chefs in his market that would steal you from him? Like, what was going through his mind? Like, why why would that be beneficial for him to push you out? Um, You know, I think it's a combination of different things. I think he wanted to see me grow, though. I really do. I really think that he he um, he just wanted to see see me grow and become a chef become a, a better chef and he didn't 
may, maybe he thought that that's the only way. I, I can't no, just be at one restaurant forever. But I, I, it's weird because it's counterintuitive, right? right? Yeah. You, you would think that the, the best chefs and restaurateurs in the world would be trying to retain their employees, but the best chefs and restaurateurs in the world are trying to push their employees out of their restaurant because they know that it's not about them. It's about their employee. It's about what this person is going to become, right? And it, it almost always comes back around to serve you some right. way, somehow, when you put other people's interests first. Yeah. Uh, is it, am I making an assumption there? Is that no, kind of what absolutely. Going on I mean, I think a lot of you know, bigger chefs who have multiple restaurants, when, when their people leave and they go open their own restaurant, they're super proud of them. Yeah. You know, that's, that's something like, hey, I had a mark on making that guy who he is now. And that's super cool to see them, how successful they are now. Yeah, you can't, you can't just, you know, hold on to everybody. <laughs> like, it's not, that's not the way it works in the, in the restaurant industry. I mean, sometimes it, it works that way for large companies because of security, job security, and all sorts of things. But for the most part, you just want to see people that have worked under you succeed. Yes. And whichever, whatever way they want to succeed. Yes, I love it. All right, so you went over to Parkside and worked under Sean. I'm going to say his name wrong again. Shaquille? Yeah. Did I, did I nail it? Yeah, I nailed it. Sean, if you're listening to this, I want to interview you and don't take this personally. Um, <laughs> so what did you learn from him? To, like dive into uh, what that experience was like. Any, any new experiences, any new angles that you didn't previously experience before this? Um, well, so Parkside is a, is a pretty large restaurant. It's about 100 seats. Um, I was also over uh, Backspace, which is a little pizza Neapolitan pizza pay, place next door. So I had a staff of about 25 cooks. So that was a huge change. That was a huge change for me. I literally had to start... I mean, I had a sous chef. So th- there were things I didn't have to do anymore. But literally just managing personalities became like a huge part of my job. And, you know, and Sean really... There, there's a strong culture at Parkside and Parkside Projects, you know, and I really had to um, latch on to that. How many years were you at Parkside? I was there for four years. Four years. Yeah. So you said there's a really strong culture. Paint a picture of what this culture looked like. Um, it's everyone does does things the way that that Sean would want you to do it. You don't want to let down Sean. You know, you you kind of like. Sean's always looking over your shoulders. That is the kind of the. Feeling <laughs> Why wouldn't of you want to let Sean down though? Because Sean Sean takes care of everybody. He's mm. a, he's a he's a great owner. He um, you know he makes sure everyone's happy. He's very concerned about that. He you know he wants to make sure that everyone has everything they need. How do you know he's concerned about your happiness? I I guess you have to meet him. You can <laughs> you can just you just get that feeling. Um, you know he's he's always he he. He'll come in and ask you how you're doing, you know, and really feel it really feels genuine when, when he asks you these personal questions about your life and, and, you know, making sure you're OK. And I think that's it's you know, you have to have that being a an owner of a large company. You have to have that connection with the owner. And that's one thing he did really well is that every person in the restaurant kind of felt that connection tone. Yes. Like, you know, like so <sighs> there's so, there's so many things I want to like listening to you talk. There's so many tangents I want to go down on. I have a lot of like <laughs> these beliefs about relationships in the restaurant industry and relationships, the, the quality of the relationships being what determines your, your mm-hmm. culture. And you said something there that really resonated with me. He cared about every one of the people. He had a relationship with every one of the people working for him. And why I bring this up because why, why I get scared sometimes is because it's been proven that your average human 
can only handle about 150 relationships. And this is their family and friends too. You know, this is, this is everybody in their life. And if you have a restaurant with over a hundred people, um, eventually you're going to have to start diluting your relationships with, with some people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and I think you can do it, you know, a few times where you have, where you, where you mentor up, you bring up these, these, uh, managers or chef de cuisines or executive chefs mm-hmm. and you recreate yourself in them. And then they have those relationships with the line staff. Right. But how many times can you do that? Like how many restaurants can you create before you really start to dilute the, the quality of the relationships? Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a tough thing. I'm sure I, I don't know. Cause I only have this small little restaurant with three cooks. Right. But, <laughs> but you get to experience the yeah. strong relationships. right? Yeah. No, but, um, I mean, Sean had a great, he was great about that. You know, he would come in, just walk down the line, shake everybody's hand, ask them how they're doing, you know, ask them how their kid is or, or whatnot, whatever personal things they had going on in their life. So, you know, that it's, I, I, I had to become somewhat like him or I, I felt like I needed to be, to, to develop these um, relationships with my cooks. Not, and not just, I'm not, I didn't, I wasn't just the hammer anymore. I wasn't just the person telling you you're doing something wrong. Like, you know, that's that's throwing stuff back at you or whatnot i i had to be this person who was um i had to become a mentor i had to become um somebody who they wanted to impress who they wanted to um you know who they wanted to work for um and that took a little bit took a little bit of time it wasn't the easiest thing it didn't just it didn't just come to me, you know, right away. So are you talking about uh, talking about your time over here at Ford and Domestic or when you became executive chef over at Parkside? At, at Parkside. Here it was um, a little easier. I, you know, I was, it was, it's so close that, you know, if you guys aren't, if everyone's not getting along, if everyone's not respecting each other, it just won't work. And, that, and someone will leave. Yeah. You know, there being with, you know, a staff of like 25, it was a little different. You had to kind of, um, you had to work at it a little bit because, you know, there'd be one person at the one end of the kitchen who didn't like another person at the other end of the kitchen. And I had to kind of fix that in some way. How do you fix that situation? <laughs> you know, it's a lot of asking questions and making fe- people realize that, that they're whatever they have between each other is stupid on their own. You know, how do you make somebody realize what they're doing is stupid? How do you, how do you get them to see it from a different perspective? Um, like, like Sean, Sean was the best at it. Just how did he do it? <laughs> he he's, has such a way with words. He has a lot, a lot of asking questions like, why would you do this? Or what, like what's going on here? And, and, and just by making you kind of think, he about made it. you come to the solution. He wouldn't just yeah. come out and say he would, exactly. he would ask you questions. He would get you to think about it. He would give you perspective or, or force you to see things from different perspectives. Exactly. And, and I learned that from him most definitely um, instead of just telling people how to do it at kind of letting them figure it out on their own. Why is that so important that, that they come to this realization on their own? <laughs> Cause I, they, they feel okay with it. Then they feel like that. Okay. I, I get, yeah, that's instead of like, okay, he told me to do it this way or he told me this, that, that, that probably won't stick with them or they won't ever get behind. I think when they, when they feel like they came up with it on them, they're going to, they're, they're going to get behind it and they understand it and they're okay with it. Awesome. I love this stuff. So, okay. What else did we learn from Parkside executive? What, what, I mean, you eventually got promoted to executive chef at Parkside. Was that yes. kind of the plan all along? Um, I don't know. I came, I came in as chef cuisine. We had a, uh, an ex, another executive chef, Jeffrey Rhodes is really awesome. He ended up moving back to his hometown in Nashville and, um, Sean promoted me to executive chef. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think it was maybe a backup plan. <laughs> you know, Sean knows he, he always has people, you know, 
ready in to queue. in queue exactly yeah, that's a, so. that's another huge lesson though like yeah. to think like that to be ahead when I mean, we were talking about it earlier like you when you're in the kitchen you've got to be ahead of wherever uh, you are at, at any given moment like what's like you're ahead of like when i was a commercial pilot we used to talk about being ahead of the plane like you weren't mm-hmm. like where the plane is in that moment you're you're planning the approach right you're looking at the the altitudes the speeds the the headings and you're and you're be, you're anticipating anticipating where you need to be right um you can't it's and then it applies to dinner service but it also applies to being in business like yeah. who do i have in here right now i have my executive chef what happens if he or she wants to leave who's my who's my next guy or girl yeah like you you gotta be ahead of your business you gotta be anticipating any scenario at any time yeah you can't put all your eggs in one basket you can't you can't your business can't depend on one chef Mm -hmm. you know if because everyone's gonna leave eventually and and you have to be okay with that you have to know that and you do have to plan for that too absolutely so um what else did you learn working at at, uh parkside park project like like i said i i the the cooking was the easy part there for me. Um, I, you know, I got to make really great food. Sean was literally, he gave me somewhat of a framework of, you know, these items need to stay on the menu because this is the kind of the restaurant we are, but we're a ingredient driven restaurant. So you can kind of go in whatever way you want. So I, I really got to have fun experimenting with food there and doing things that I hadn't done before necessarily. But at the same time, it, it literally just, it was, most of my learning was being a manager, becoming a, you know, the executive chef, which was managing managers, you know, managing everybody and making sure everything that happened in the restaurant was what Sean had envisioned um, to some extent. Some of it I had, you know, my creative freedom in too, but um, just the big, big, more big picture things is what, is what I would have to say. Um, you so know. give me an example, another example of a big picture thing that you picked up from working here. Um, you know, making sure, you know, just guest satisfaction, um, that, that people are really enjoying their meals there, that, that you didn't put some food on the menu for yourself to just to be cool or, or whatnot. Really, you're, you're making each diner's experience, um, really great and making sure they enjoy it you know, by, by a lot of things, you know, but just making sure, you know, all this, the simple things that you, you learn just timing and, and seasoning and things like that. But just to really make sure people come in and have a good time and you, in, in that the, all the staff has the tools that they need to, to make that happen. Mm. So this is also where you met your future business partner. Yeah. Right. We, yes. we had Sarah on the show a couple episodes ago. Uh, what was it? Do you remember working with her do you remember uh what it was like uh what your your feelings towards her were uh from a business standpoint uh and and what what kind of impression did she make on you in the early days when you first met you know um i so she started i think a couple weeks before me but my first day when i walked in she's she she ran the, the banquet kitchen upstairs so we didn't work shoulder to shoulder every day. But the first day I walked in, she's like, has the whole entire grill full of chicken and she's getting ready for this giant banquet. She's the only person in the kitchen. She's got stuff everywhere. Like, you know, working her ass off. And, (laughs) and I was like, wow, who, who is this? (laughs) Like she's going, she's going hard. And, 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 uh, for her, you know, her whole time there, I was, I was always blown away by how hard of a worker she was, how organized she was, how she was very into systems, very into, 
um, you know, having the correct amount of everything, making sure she was organized. Um, she was going through a lot of, a lot of personal things, um, then, and I didn't even know about these things because she, she just came to work and worked really hard. And I, I was blown away by that. Um, you know, and, um, eventually, you know, um, we became closer and closer and, 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 you know, it's pretty cool now that we get to work together literally shoulder by shoulder (laughs) every day. And it's interesting because when you guys became close working at Parkside, you never had a planned to open a restaurant together that was never in the conversation or was it no it wasn't no it was you know she um she moved on from parkside and and you know i stayed there for quite a while it wasn't until after that that um this actually became an opportunity so did she come to foreign and domestic oh no she was texting with ned yeah uh, and it just came up and then that's when she reached out to you right yeah yeah i mean i was still at parkside we just, you know, it just came up and she asked me and I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. What was I going mean, through your mind when she, when she, te- was it a text or a call or? I she, think she texted me while I was at work. So you get a text message. Basically, somebody asked you to marry them via text message because <laughs> uh, that's what's happening basically. when you're going into business to somebody. So what was it like when you got this text message? What was going through your head? What was your initial thought? Um, initially, yes, that, this is, this would be awesome, but like, holy crap, like really, is this something that could actually happen? Like kind of in disbelief, um, you know, cause foreign domestic was always in a rest, was always the restaurant that I wanted to own. Like it was, I loved everything about it. Um, as far as the size in the kitchen and, and, you know, the style and everything. So it was kind of like, could this really happen? Like, I, I don't, I'm not even and you have a little bit of personal connection to the the restaurant because you spent Absolutely. three years here before. Yeah, I mean it 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 made sense, it made complete sense. Um, it was I, I didn't I didn't know if that if it would really happen. I mean, it was just a you know a couple text messages or not. But as the months went by, you know, tons of times you know spent filling out paperwork and things. You know, it happened. And so when you got the text, what was your initial thought? Um, I was like, yeah, let's, let's pursue this. Let's see if it can happen. Yeah. I'm interested. Yeah. 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 I, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, like, yes, like this is going to happen. It was like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. That could be, yeah, yeah. So what was that process of exploring? Like, what did you learn through that exploration process? (laughs) Uh, that paperwork is horrible and, (laughs) and, and, um, you know, going through getting a bank loan is a nightmare. What kind of paperwork are you talking about? Just like bank paperwork? Yeah. Literally, uh, your financials for your whole entire life on paper and them scrutinizing everything. See, one of the the people ask me all the time, like Eric, like when are you going to open a restaurant? I'm like, I've learned a lot of things about having to open a restaurant and where I am right now, I would have to get a lot of money and I don't want to deal with any, like if I'm ever going to open a restaurant, it's going to be when I have a butt ton of cash I can just throw at it and like basically say, <laughs> I'm okay with burning all this money and I'm willing to burn this money because I may not ever get it back. Like you have to be willing to do it, but you didn't take that approach. You got the financing. Yeah. We, uh, we ended up getting a, a, a great loan through a bank. I mean, I, it would have been a lot easier if we just had the money in our pocket right? and just open <laughs> yeah. it and just be like, sweet, we'll buy it. Here you go. Here's a check. But it didn't happen like that. It took, you know, seven, eight months or something like that. Um, what did you learn about that process? Anything from that process that you learned the hard way, or maybe you, you didn't get the funding because you didn't think about something, anything you can share with us to make us more prepared for that process? I mean, literally have your business plan, your, your projections and everything, everything in line. If you're going to go to the bank, the easier, the, the more you're prepared for that is, as far as like 
being able to describe everything. It was easier for us because it was already a, a restaurant that was operating. So we could show them the financials from the previous years, but we also had to show them projections. But by having that ready to go, it, it made the process a little bit easier and a little bit faster. What about your experience at the restaurant that you were going to be buying? Do you think that helped at all? I think they, um, the bank liked that a lot. They liked that I had been in there. I had worked there for three years. I had you know basically ran, ran it for three years. So they really... They like that. That felt good to them because basically what it comes down to is one person saying, yeah, we'll loan them the money or no, we won't loan them the money. So how many different banks did you guys have to go to before you got the, the funding? Um, I, I, we really, I mean, we went through a lot to a lot of the big banks and just kind of, you know, went in and see like, Hey, and they're like, yeah, no, we, no, we don't do restaurants or whatnot. Well, did you learn anything from each one of those experiences that you would use and apply to the next time you would try? Um, Yes, I mean basically to go to uh, banks that work with small businesses and that want to want to help out local businesses um, because that's where we ended up going. Larger larger banks aren't really interested in in little teeny businesses that have, especially restaurants that are, you know, might might fail. <laughs> so, yeah. how do you know if a bank is interested in helping small business? Like, is there a place we can go to find out or? Um, literally through, we, we learned through friends, um, okay. people, people telling us, Hey, this is who we worked with for this. To so get going to other restaurant owners, yeah. other restaurants or other to. small businesses. Yeah. It was actually through one of our friends who had a PR company who, who, uh, showed us this, this, uh, bank. So they, they had worked with them and they're a small rest or small business. So that, you know, they're interested. We talked to them and they're interested. So. Yeah. So, so Sarah and I talked about this a little bit when I had her on the show and that was the, the conversation around why you chose to keep the foreign and domestic brand, uh, with new, under new ownership. What was going through your mind? Why did you think that was the right approach? You know, it was, it was ready to go. We didn't have to close. You know, the, the scary part is, okay, we're going to close and start over. That's, that's really hard. That's saying that you have enough capital in the bank to float the restaurant for X amount of months, which we didn't. We had some, we had, you know, I, I guess it was the right amount now, so <laughs> we're fine. But um, it, it was, not that it was easier, but I think it was smarter. Um, what, I, what was smarter? I'm sorry. Is, is, to not, is to not just start over, take the restaurant and, and start over with a new concept or new brand or whatnot. Um, just coming in and really just making it our own, sticking with with the original concept, which was you know nose to tail, whatever you want to call it. Just um, we already had a set of regulars. Sarah was familiar with us, a lot of the customers. Um, I think it was just the smart thing to do. Yeah. Um, any advice for us if we're maybe thinking about taking over a restaurant buying a restaurant keeping the brand i've heard some people say that if you're buying a restaurant uh and you don't really have any ties to that restaurant you should start from scratch new new chef new new brand but this is a unique situation because you guys both had experience here you both had uh you you were the chef de cuisine here for a while i think sarah did some staging or she was working here for a little bit before so it's not and like you mentioned earlier it's exactly what you wanted to do right mm-hmm. and it wasn't like it was a floundering business that was failing it was a successful business yeah. that had its regulars it was doing well why would you rock the ship it's a it's a unique situation it is it, it is and and i think people like it because there is there is kind of a story that you know 
chef sold his restaurant to his old chef de cuisine or whatnot. Yeah. And people like that. People like to see that you're that you're keeping a neighborhood staple because people really like this place and they would have been upset if it had changed to something else, whatever, and another kind of food or something else. They they're you know, they they enjoy being able to walk down the street and come here mm-hmm. and see that and they like that it's consistent and doesn't change dramatically. So what advice Going through the process of taking over uh, a restaurant, it's really just it's, it's about as turnkey as you get, mm-hmm. right? Oh, what advice do you have for somebody who's going through that same situation that you and Sarah went through? Um, you know, make sure you you have a a plan for you know understand the brand, understand what you're doing. Don't you don't want to confuse people, and I think that it was still kind of hard for us um, as far as in with PR is to make sure um, that we're, we're telling that story about how we were connected here and we were taking over a restaurant that Ned opened and making it make sense to people because I think that was the struggle was people didn't understand it. And, and I think we really had to communicate that and it took a bit to, for it to make sense with, for people. How did you, or when did you know it made sense? Um, we, we I think when we had, uh, a couple um, press releases come come out, and you know, just sitting down and reading it, and 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 seeing what other people thought, and and them like, okay, I get it now, because it was kind of like there was a rumor like that we were closing or whatever, and or that we're gonna change it to something else, or I don't know, all these different rumors, but that we could see people were were understanding, like, oh yeah, it's gonna you're gonna keep it same foreign domestic, right? Yeah, like yeah, we're we're just gonna put some love into it, and, and you know make it in our, our own, but not change anything dramatically. And, and I think people can tell when they come, when they walk in, they're like, okay, it's the same, but now there's some, there's some flowers here. It's a little bit softer, maybe a little bit, um, you know, there's a couple new faces, but it, it still feels familiar. Okay. So what was the biggest challenge that you did not see coming in this transaction or this transition? Um, I mean, I, I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but there's way more things on the um, financial side that I didn't necessarily know how to do. Um, all the the amount of accounting work that goes into it, like, oh yeah, you need a CPA to do this for you and do this for you. The amount of like, oh, you have to get your reinspection, and they might, you know, change some things so we had to you know move all the equipment out and paint the floor and like there's just all these little hurdles that you the unexpected that you don't know what were the biggest things that you didn't know about that you know about now that you can make sure that somebody going into the situation knows about so they can prepare for it um i think a lot of it is just to have the people that you're going to work with in line like having having a lawyer who understands the situation um luckily we, we got a pretty good guy. It took a while f- for it to all work through, but, <laughs> um, you know, having those people that, that are, that are familiar with the industry, an accountant that's familiar with the, you know, restaurant industry. I think that helps a lot, um, to make things smoother. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're talking about some of the numbers that you weren't quite familiar with. Can you get specific and talk about exactly what those numbers were and, and how you are familiar with them today? Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I knew I'd have to enter invoices. I knew how to do food costing. I knew how to do those things. But as, as far as like exactly how the payroll taxes work, exactly how, you know, when do you have to pay the sales tax? When do you have to pay the unemployment tax? Like all these government things that I wasn't a hundred percent. There's no, there's no list that you can get of everything that you have to do. Like that's not there. Why isn't that list like, anywhere? You have to just make the mistake and get the, is, and the notice in the mail that says like, Oh, you forgot to pay this. Like, Oh crap. What is that? <laughs> I, I, I should make that list. Right? I should find out and put that list out. So, I mean, this is some, some of the stuff I want to do in the future, yeah. but uh, that's why the podcast exists to, to find all these, these uh, hidden, these secrets, these things that yeah. we discover when we get the thing in the mail that says we've effed up. Uh, so, <laughs> You know, like there, yeah, you can have a bookkeeper and accountant do everything for you, but they cost a lot of money and we didn't have that. So we literally doing everything basically ourselves. And, and, you know, I mean, I can ask people for advice. I can go to Sean and ask him, Hey, how do you do this? And he'll, he'll point me in the right direction, but it's a lot of just making little mistakes on your own. Yeah. I think. So anything, okay. anything we haven't discussed up to this point, uh, you've been going strong now at foreign domestic for over a year, right? It was 2000, yeah. September, 2017. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're going into your second year. Anything you want to talk about? This is your time to, to choose the path of the rest of the conversation. Um, you know, I, th- I think, uh, just one of our, uh, one of the hardest things now for restaurants is it is so competitive in the um, in Austin and all, all major cities is just keeping your restaurant fresh, keeping it in people's minds, keeping it up front. Like, you know, every month there's a new list of, of you know, top restaurants that comes out and, and on, you know, Eater or whatnot. And, and literally just being able to keep your restaurant in the forefront on people's minds, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the hardest thing for us, I think, day to day now is is really making sure people like see your name every day and 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 also at the same time um like i talked about consistency is it's just cooking food that people like oh man i i it's a tuesday night i want to have a great you know dish of pasta like let's go to back to foreign and domestic because yeah. i remember that you know it's a balance of those things like keeping things fresh by changing the menu and and being new but also you know making sure that you you have those staples or you know those they know they can go get a really good dish, you know, on a Tuesday or Wednesday night or have a special occasion dinner on a Friday to like, I don't know, I guess build those memories with you, with your guests. What else are you doing this thing fresh? Um, we, we do a, uh, a tasting menu an awful tasting menu that we, um, we change up and, and we just, you know, that's kind of just the fun, one of the fun things that we do here. Um, you Who know, else is doing awful like you? I, I mean, I can't think of anyone specifically, really. So I think that does make us stand out. People are like, oh, you guys you guys are the, the awful restaurant. You do the weird stuff. I'm like, yeah. But our dishes also, they, they aren't just, they aren't way out there. They, yeah. they're, we always want, I always want something that people can identify with in a dish. You know, something that they've like, oh, I haven't had that before, but I know, I understand this is a risotto with this on it or whatnot. And, and so things you know, they can relate to them. I think, you know, uh, yes, it's making an approach, but it's also having that unique selling proposition. I probably bring unique selling propositions up way too much on the show, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really important to have that one thing that you do better than everybody else. So when somebody in, a, especially, I think this is more true in big cities where there's so many options, mm-hmm. uh, instead of trying to be everything to everybody, 
have one thing that you are the place to go for that one thing because right? nobody does it quite like you. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be the restaurant that just pleases everybody because then it's just kind of a wash. Like nobody's going to remember you for a certain reason. But for those super like ambitious eaters that are like willing to try different things, like this is the place they're going to come to yeah. to kind of to get grossed out or to <laughs> get. Uh, n- I, th- I think people know people. I, I well, so the <laughs> other gross thing, though isn't the right yeah, word, yeah, but no, to, no. to be adventurous. I yeah, think. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think people. Um, I like people to know what they're in for when they get here before they get here. I think I want I want people to know who we are and in, in making sure that um, we, you know, and how we I guess how we brand or how we portray ourselves like that they understand what they're coming for before they get here because I don't want them to come here. I mean, it happens every now and people sit down and they look at the menu and then they're like, yeah, no. And then they walk out. Mm -hmm. It happens every now and then at every restaurant, but you know, having something for not something for everybody, but having a good burger for, you know, Hey, the husband wanted to come and try the awful tasting menu, but the wife just wanted a burger and we have that, you know, (laughs) which happens quite a bit. So I think one other thing that's unique to your, your story, uh, some of the challenge, because uh, Ned Elliott built up like this is his baby. Like you said, he's he, when you were working here for the first time, he, mm-hmm. this was his baby. Like he was here oh, yeah. all the time. Yeah. What what is is it like taking over someone's baby? Like like, and when you want to make it your own, was there resistance? Do you think for him to? I mean, it's not his choice anymore. It's not his business anymore. He sold it. But because you guys are you guys, I mean, you worked together for three yeah. years. What was that? That must have been interesting. Yeah, is it, is it worth getting into? I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, at first to change things, we, we were, um, we didn't want to change too much too fast and, and we didn't want to, we didn't want to, uh, put off the staff, you know, they are like used to doing things a certain way. Um, you know, used to all these certain systems and things. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to rock the boat too much because we want to keep those, those people in place. We didn't lose any staff, you know, we didn't fire anybody. We didn't do anything like that. We, we wanted to keep those people in place. Because, you know, that's who the guests saw every day when they came in, you know, and, and they're all great. We had a great staff and, you know, we've, you know, people have come and go, come and gone. But, um, you know, we haven't made any of these dramatic changes because, you know, I, we're, we're pretty, I mean, I'm proud of what, you know, what I helped Ned build here. You know, I was part of it for, for three years, you know, and a lot of the same things are still here in place. Um you know, there, there's certain things that we've changed because we had strong, strong feelings about it. Yeah. I don't know. I can't think of anything. Uh, so in let particular, me, let me ask you one last question before we move to the speed round. And yeah. that is how have you transformed as an owner, as a professional over the years, thinking back to that 21 year old that was managing, that was a middle management before going to culinary school. Who are you today versus the man you were back then? <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely, uh, less hot-headed i don't think that with the way the industry changes and the amount of sensitivity nowadays for good or bad um i you know i i will let certain things go and and maybe uh you know instead of yelling at somebody in the middle of the uh service i'll wait until the end and then talk to you about it (laughs) you know um learning that having patience um is so many things. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it, man. I'll take it. This has been a great conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. If you listen to Restaurant Unstoppable, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. There are two 
things that you need to let determine your growth. The first thing, that's people. The second thing, that's cash flow. And we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because I'm working with cashflowtool.com, the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business. Cashflowtool.com is simple, powerful, and predictive. It's simple because it requires no data entry. It's always up to date and it works on any device, anywhere. It's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar, activity feed, and anomaly detector, you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises. And it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow. Head over to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price. All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you will get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success um i mean i think i talked about it at the beginning but um just trying to do your best every single day trying to improve trying to you know don't waste your time do it do it you don't want to do it twice do it the best you can every time what is your biggest weakness <sighs> um honestly probably my temper i think gets to me sometimes i'm way better at it than i used to be so what um, do you do now to combat those emotions those negative emotions that temper um sometimes i'll take a walk around the block uh, now I think I'm, I'm better at it where I just take a deep breath and then I just go, you know, I, I look at somebody a certain way instead of, instead of saying something, I'll just look at you because you know what you did wrong, you, yeah. you know, you know, and I think that that usually works a lot of times. At what point do you take the breath or go for the walk? Like what, when do you know it's time? Like what, is there a feeling? Is there a cue? Like, yeah, I mean, when, when I feel like I, if I don't. If I don't take a take a walk, then I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's just the you know intensity of the environment. It's it's you know I, I really care that I want everything done right. Oh, and, you know, and when I see some when I've told someone for the third time that they're doing it wrong, and I want them to do it you know differently, and then they still do it wrong, it gets to me. It yeah, gets to me. There's a, a great book by uh, Daniel Goleman, uh, Emotional Intelligence, that really dives into. <laughs> 
uh, what's going on in your mind. Like the like, we all know how an engine works, right? Or not? We don't all know, but a lot of us know how an engine works. And when we recognize a rattle or we hear a noise, we know that we can fix it. Mm-hmm. Same is true with your mind. When you feel an, emo- an emotion coming, you, you know that there's a, a pathway that that emotion's traveling on, and you can snip it. Like you can you can stop it and recognize that it's just an emotion that it's not going to serve you, and to take a deep breath and to choose not to let that emotion hijack your consciousness and make you go crazy. Right. So uh, Daniel Goleman, Emotional Intelligence, a great book to check out if you guys want to learn more about why it's so important to take the breath or to go for a walk and to cool down. Uh, What is what is one thing you look for or thing you ask when you're going through the interview process? Um, I like to to have stages. I mean, the interview doesn't tell me too much about people, but when I see them work, um, I'm not looking for someone who's who's super talented or has a ton of experience, but just that they they come in, they're quiet, they work, they do what they're asked to do. That you know, I can tell they're a hard worker. Just a hard worker. Hard work goes a long ways. You know, I and I can because te- I can teach you how to cook. I can teach you everything you need to know. But you have to have that. You have to have that within. How do you know somebody has a work ethic if you haven't worked with them yet? Is that what the, is that what the stage is all about? That's that's the, the stage helps, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes it's a crapshoot. Sometimes you just you know at Parkside we would just hire them all, hire them all, and you know if they don't work out, <laughs> they'll they leave don't themselves work out. out. Yeah, 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 which is fine. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Oh, um, I mean, I think I, we we kind of discussed it earlier. Is just keeping the restaurant fresh, keeping keeping it. Um, something that people are interested in. Um, you know, like the, the cooking is the easy part. I can cook good food. Sarah can cook good food. It's just, um, in the public eye, like making sure that, you know, we keep that people are interested in what we're doing. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Um, you know, just working, working clean and organized is, is probably my biggest pet, pet, pet peeve. Um, you know, if you're, if your mise en place is all over the place, your food's going to end up being all over the place, you know, clean and organized. You're going to get the job done more efficiently, faster and better. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team here? We like to make guests really comfortable. And I think that, um, like we'll, we'll let you taste through several wines. We'll let you, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll let you make some, um, you know, if you just want a bowl of pasta with cheese, we'll make it for you. You know, we, we really are about hospitality, making people comfortable, making sure people want to come back. Cause like, Oh, did they did that special thing for us? You know, really embracing hospitality and, and not just saying, Nope, sorry, we don't make any modifications to the menu. You know, So what is hospitality? Literally just wanting, just doing whatever it takes to make people happy, to really make sure people have a great experience, maybe taking, doing that extra step. You know, so when I hear you say these things, the word that comes to my mind, and it's a word that you'll find in the definition of hospitality, which is being generous, mm-hmm. right? And it might not be the way you do things, yeah. but by, by folding and accommodating somebody's special request, you're being generous with your time, right? With yeah. your, with, you know, maybe throwing a wrench into the system, it might off, like offset a couple of things, but that's all part of being generous, right? right? And I feel like one way to gauge how hospitable you're being is how how much of a pain in the ass is this going to be? The, the more of an inconvenience to you, it is the more <laughs> hospitable it's going to feel on the other end, right? Right. And, and when you feel like you're being uh, 
made to do something that is going to be a huge pain in the ass, that's your fucking trigger, right? They're like, <laughs> oh, I should definitely do this because it's going to make me look awesome. And yeah. that's, I mean, you got it's like flipping a switch, right? Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Um, I think I really like all of Charlie Trotter's old books. I think uh, Lessons and Excellence was a really good one. It really gets kind of behind the mind of Charlie Trotter and, and talks about kind of the whole restaurant is, a, is all the different parts and all the different ways that he ran it and all the, the craziness, but there's a lot of great stuff to it. What was the biggest lesson you learned from Charlie Trotter in that book? Um, just that you, I mean, just to, it's a lot about focus and making sure things are done properly. Um, just, you know, not cutting corners, really um, thinking through things, any systems, anything, cook, whether cooking or service. What is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? I mean, uh, like we just talked about that hospitable thing, just being hospitable, really embracing it and really like just the whole staff. Like even, you know, someone asks for something and I see servers roll their eyes sometimes, you know, little things like that. Which is a dangerous thing to do in an open kitchen. (laughs) I mean, right. You know, like, like just saying yes, sticking to that. We don't say no. Yes. That's something that, you know, a lot of restaurants don't stick to anymore. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your four walls that has had a huge impact on efficiency, communication, uh, profitability, anything along those lines? Um, I, I think actually open table has been the best thing that we've done <laughs> this year. Um, you had a resi. We did. Originally I heard, what was it about resi that wasn't working well for you? It, it, it just didn't work for what we were doing. It would work if we did just seatings and, and it was all planned out and we didn't have to worry about taking lots of walk-ins and whatnot. But, you know, we want to maximize um, the amount of people that we can serve a night. So I think Open Table does way better at that. So Open Table does better at maximizing the amount of seating you get every night. What else, what other benefits are there with Open Table that you've noticed? Open Table is a lot more dynamic than, than Resi. It, you can, it, it's, it sees table combinations in, in things way better. So it helps us maximize. It's a little bit more user friendly, I believe. It's just more powerful. overall. Yeah. So I feel like open table had a really nasty reputation, uh, for a good stretch there when they came to the, you know, they came to the scene, they were amazing. Everybody wanted it. They were a great tool, a great resource. Then they kind of got the reputation of being a little bit too greedy, mm-hmm. uh, taking advantage of being, of ha- having like complete control over the market yeah and then they got kind of chased a little bit over the past five years i feel like resi came on scene reserve came on scene talk came on scene no weight came on scene uh a bunch of other tools came on scene and i feel like open table was like we should probably think about how we're going forward right? right our approach going forward i think they've made some changes yeah and i think it also varies city to city as far as who uses what um in Austin, I really believe that you got to use Open Table. It's it just everyone has that app on their phone. That's what they're used to. I think in other cities like LA, Resi probably thrives. Yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of people use it here. I mean, I've spoke with this, with many other uh, chefs. They switched from Resi back to Open Table yeah. as well. And, and Interesting. It's I think it's a city by city things, you know, as well. All right, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? 
<laughs> I guess so. Yeah, let's do it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom. Three things you know to be true about your success that you could leave behind for the good of humanity in the restaurant industry and for your legacy. What would those three things be? Um, don't be afraid to take chances. I think that's a, a really big thing. Don't be afraid to take chances. Number one. Sorry, did I cut you off? I did. What were you going to say? That's just, that's a really, you can't not do that nowadays. If you live within a little box and not take chances, you're only going to go so far. Um, I would say to take notes along the way through your career and take everything in. Don't, don't just, don't just be a body and do the job. Really try to learn and and pick up on every, all the things going around. What's number three. And I mean, just what I've said before is to really put forth your best effort every day is to give it 110%. Because if you're not doing that, you're, you're literally wasting your time. You're just, it's just a job then. Mm. And, you know, in this industry, what I tell cooks all the time, if you don't love doing this, get another job. Yes. Awesome. There's not much money in it as far as for being a cook, you know? I loved this conversation. Again, to summarize, don't be afraid to take chances. Take notes along the way and put forth your best effort. This has been a great conversation. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Um, I have a friend in Houston. His name's uh, Lyle Bento. He uh, owned a restaurant called Southern Goods, and now he's working on a, uh, a new project that I'm not 100% sure about uh, working for another restaurant group. But um, I think he'd be a really good uh, mentor to have on. Lyle Bento? Bento? Yeah, Lyle Bento. Lyle Bento, look out. I'm coming after you. And Nathan, how can we connect with you if we want to uh, maybe come join your team or ask you a question based off of the story you shared with us today? What's the best way to connect? Uh, email is always good. Nathan at the letters FNDAustin.com is the best way to reach me. And this is episode 566. If you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 566, I'll have a link uh, to all the tools, resources, and books recommended, as well as a summary of today's discussion all over there. Chef Nathan Lemley, my man, thank you again so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks a lot. This has been a lot of fun. It has. Cheers. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Nathan Lemley, thanks again for coming on the show, sharing your story, sharing your mentorship. You were awesome. I think there are a few major takeaways for me in today's conversation. The first one I want to point out, if you're young and you're listening to this and you have aspirations of opening your own restaurant, get out there and experience other restaurants, experience experience other leaders and start to get that picture of who you want to be and really find out what resonates with you, not just as far as the food goes, but as the management styles go, as these leaders go, allow yourself to be influenced, right? The second big lesson I love from today's conversation is what we, we pulled from uh, Nathan's lesson from Chef Sean the Circle. 
I'm pretty sure I'm saying his name wrong. I'm sorry, Sean. Uh, don't tell your people to do certain things. Steer them in the right direction. Help them come to the conclusion on their own. It will stick with them much better. And you, you start to develop the habit of getting these people to think on their own, right? And and you're, you're, you're taking them through the thought process and how to think, right? It's really important stuff. And then the last one is letting your talented employees go on if they've gone as far as they can with you. Uh, we learned this with Ned Elliott and how he handled the situation with Nathan uh, when Nathan left to go to Parkside. Uh, if you've brought somebody up and you've given them all you know and they've hit a ceiling under your ceiling, <laughs> I'm going to have to use that more often. If they've hit your ceiling, uh, then pass them on to the next person that can teach them something that can give them value and when you make it about other people and you make it about serving other people and not making sure they serve you it all comes back around some way somehow to uh, serve you in your restaurant in the future it's just, it's just uh, you know it's that woo woo mushy gushy shit but but it's like the law of attraction right you get out what you put in and I full heartedly believe in a lot of that stuff uh, and like always guys I've got to remind you to reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio Cupping coming. Uh, they help so much. Uh, and also, the new year is fast approaching. So I want you guys to start thinking about who you want to be in the next year. And I think you're going to start seeing uh, some changes here at Restaurant Unstoppable, too. I've been thinking a lot about who I want to be going into the future and really writing down who am I and I've actually gone through the, pro- the the practice of creating a little document and it just says at the top who am I and I've been writing in it every night trying to get clarity on who I am and where I want to go so maybe you can try that practice too so I don't know write it down uh, get that clarity on who you want to become in the new year and get after it alright guys that's all for today thank you so much for sticking around this long until next time peace out